let me ask you something. Uh, have you ever showed up at a party or some kind of gathering and you weren't dressed appropriately? I mean, am, am, I the on, am I the only one that, I hope that I am not the only one that has done that. I mean, I, I, I made a really, really big boo-boo uh, when I was in seventh grade. So in, in, at the end of my seventh grade year, um, they had an, an election, and I was elected vice president of the student body. So um, I was uh, going to be the vice president in, in, the, in the coming uh, year. Uh, but as we were getting ready to wrap up the year, one of my responsibilities as the new vice president was to go to the current eighth grade graduation, go to the auditorium, and to serve there. We were actually going to Aviation High School and to, and to go there. So the big day comes up, and I'm supposed to go, and I'm dressed. I dress myself in Levi's and a shirt, and I start heading out the door. My, and, my, and my mom and dad stop me, and they go, well, where are you going? That's why I'm going to the graduation. They're going, you're not going to the graduation dressed like that. I mean, this is, this is a graduation. People are going to be dressed in suits and ties. are going to be dressed up. I'm like, no, they're not. And we had this kind of dialogue argument back and forth. And, and my argument was David May, who was the president, played in a band. And there's no way that David May is going to dress up. That's my, that's my thinking. Listen, I didn't say it was normal. That was just my thinking. And so we had this dialogue. We had this argument about me dressing up. Finally, they said, listen, go. So I went. And I remember walking in the big old auditorium, and I walked, and I went around the auditorium, and all of a sudden, I see a wave of people. And they're dressed in suits and ties and dresses, and they're carrying flowers. And all of a sudden, I realized, I made a huge mistake. I was not dressed appropriately. I went in to serve, and one of the guys there said, well, listen, we're almost over. You can go do this. And I, I, I just made a huge mistake, and I was absolutely devastated because I had gone to something and I wasn't dressed appropriately. So how does that resonate with our text this morning? The Bible says this, because we are new creations in Christ, because of this new identity, because that we are in Christ, because my life is hidden with God in Christ, something has radically changed on the inside. And because of the significance of that change, now we, you and I, are to dress appropriately. We are to dress ourselves differently. And, and the text that, um, Gary wrote, it, it's not about changing what I put on physically, it's the way that I live my life. In other words, I have been internally transformed on the inside, and now because of that internal transformation, what I want to do is I want to live my life in such a way that it's radically different. I'm living out the faith that's been challenged and given to me on the inside through the Spirit of God to live appropriately in my world. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we continue our study, Healthy Habits. Uh, a, a wonderful verse that Gary read about who we are in Christ, the responsibility that we have, and how we are to live in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. Listen, I, I, I admittedly made a mistake back then. My mom and dad let me make a mistake. You know what my dad did? After I made that mistake, I walked out, and, and my dad's yellow truck was sitting along the side of the road. And my dad was waiting for me. Why was my dad waiting for me? Because he knew I had made a huge mistake. And I got into that truck, and I didn't have to say one word. Because I knew my dad knew what was going on. He knew what was going on in my heart. 
And he was just simply there as an opportunity to offer whatever forgiveness or correction might be. And what we have, because of our new identity as Christians, what we want to do is we want to live our lives differently. Paul, in the book of Romans, said this, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, Paul is saying, because of this radical change that's happened, put on those qualities, those attributes of Jesus, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us to remind us of how we are changed people. And so what I want to do is, in this idea of healthy habits, as we continue this um, walk through beginning 2023, I want to point us in the right direction so that we have the opportunity to live the way that Jesus would have us to live. So let me read our text. Three powerful verses uh, stuck in the middle of Colossians chapter 3. We actually looked at this about two years ago. Just a great relevant text for this morning. Hear the word of the Lord again. Therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Incredible verses about how you and I had the great privilege of emulating the life of Jesus. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that if we have embraced the message of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, that if we've repented of our sin and trusted you. Lord, we are radically different people. And the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and you desire to use us in a mighty and powerful way. And Father, this morning we're reminded that life is not perfect, that I make mistakes, that we all make mistakes. And what we have in this text is a reminder of how we can live amongst the mistakes and the challenges and the difficulties that we experience living in families and living in a community of faith. Father, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so um, three things we're going to do. We're going to put on something. Um, we're going to put up with people. And the last thing we want to do is we want to put over. So put on, put up, put over. That's kind of where we're going. So I just gave you the outline. So number one, put on godly virtues. Look again at verse 12. Notice it, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, so let's understand the context of this. If you were to go back and look just one verse back, if you go back and look at chapter 3, verse 11, the people there are described in a wide variety of ways. They're very, very different. Culturally, they're different. Racially, they're different. Socially, they're different. Economically, they're different. And, and that's the way that the family of God comes together. I mean, we're, we're radically different. I can imagine for some of you, you can think back to the time, some of you who may be older, you can think back to the time, well, you, you didn't play cards. You didn't go to movies. You didn't dance. You didn't do any of those things. Why? Because that's not the kind of culture that you do in a church. And nowadays, we have things like tattoos and dancing and maybe drinking beer or smoking a cigar and all those kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, we come together and we have these variations of how we operate in the church, how we see things and how we see life. Oh, you know, good Christian people don't do this kind of behavior. And it's no different here. They were radically different. Culture, they were very, very different people with one another. 
And so what Paul says is, who are we according to verse 12? And notice what he says. You, you are chosen people, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. In other words, what you are is you're radically different. Your identity is a person who's been chosen by God. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in him that we might live and honor and glorify him. We have been set apart. We are holy, set apart from the things of the world so that we can live and honor and glorify Jesus. And, and we have this wonderful privilege of being dearly loved. In, in spite of who you are, in spite of the difficulties and the challenges of myself and the mistakes that I will continue to make, God says you are loved. You're chosen, you're set apart, you're holy, and you are loved. And that's the great privilege that we have. And what Paul is saying, listen, I want you to, I want you to wear some things. I want you to wear this kind of behavior and attitude, if you will. Wear the way that you've been radically different because of your faith and trust in Christ. You know, years ago, um, my wife and I came back from Seattle, and we walked in the house, and you could just smell that there was uh, uh, an, an odd, um, like, gas in, in the air. And the, the firemen showed up. And you know how they showed up? They, they showed up dressed with all of their gear on. Why did they show up dressed with all? Because they're firemen. They dress appropriately. Policemen dress appropriately. Nurses dress appropriately. Doctors dress a certain way. They dress appropriately. And what Paul is saying, listen, what you need to do is what we need to do is we need to dress appropriately. We're the kinds of clothes that the life of Jesus lived out when he was here. And by the way, this is not, this is not what I picked out. You know, we might pick out certain things. This is what God has picked out. This is what the Holy Spirit of God has picked out. So what did he pick out? What are we supposed to put on? Number one, compassion. Okay, so we know that the Bible, 66 books, right? It's made up of 1,189 chapters. And in these chapters, they are comprised of 31,173 verses. Some of you are sitting there like, yeah, well, it's okay, big deal. Well, it didn't originally come that way. These people added them in later so that it would make it easier for us to be able to read through the Bible and turn and do those kinds of things. But what's interesting is this, when they come to the book of John... John chapter 11, verse, I think it's, is it 35? They gave one verse to two words. Jesus wept. Why would they give one verse to those two words? Jesus wept. I would imagine they did that because of the nature and the character of who Jesus is and what he's done. There is a lot of theology in those two words Jesus wept, right? When you sit and think about it, Jesus had compassion, not just in life, but at this particular point in time at the death of Lazarus. As, as he looked and he saw the people, we, he, his, his heart, the compassion in his heart went out. He felt this deep need, if you will, this deep experience, deep in the bowels of who he is. And he felt care and compassion and love for all of these people who were weeping at the feet of Lazarus because he was in the grave. And Jesus even knew what he was going to do. He had delayed purposely from coming to this point because he knew what he was going to do. And yet he has compassion for people. The Bible says that Jesus wept. Let, let me ask you, do you have compassion for people? Do you feel this sense of compassion when you see a hurting person? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a coworker or, or somebody, a neighbor or, or someone that you don't know. Do you feel something in the deep pit of your stomach that says, man, I need to respond to what's going on in that person's life. 
So William Barclay is a commentator, and, and if you read any of his commentaries, he talks about the early church. And in the early church, there were widows. In the early church, there were orphans. In the early church, there were hurting people. And what William Barclay says in his commentaries is this, that when you come to the early church, culture, Greco-Roman culture, they didn't do a lot for the sick, the widows. The poor. They didn't do a lot for them. They kind of left them. And what the early church did was they come alongside, and the widows and the poor and the orphans, they came alongside and they began to help. They would build hospitals. They would do all of these different kinds of things in order to help people, if you will. Why? Because they understood the ethics of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, to fall in love and help other people, if you will. Last night I had, uh, Laura and I had dinner with our son-in-law, and, and he just came back from Yendi, Ghana. Yendi, Ghana, this little village in Ghana, Yendi, Ghana. And he and his church, with a crossing and an organization, they were there, and you know what they were doing? The doctors and nurses were there taking care of people. They this organization built a hospital in Yendi, Ghana, so that the hundreds of thousands of people in that city would have a place to go. He said there's one doctor for all of them. Why is that? Because the ethics of Jesus causes us to have compassion on people. We are moved, hopefully we are moved to action, if you will. Are you moved to action? Are you moved to help other people? That's what he's talking about. Clothe yourselves with compassion when you look at the world around you. And notice what else he says. We have compassion. We're compassion, but also kindness. In other words, compassion oh, is going to lead to something. It's, it's not just, oh, man, I feel something in my, my stomach. I, you know, you feel something deep in the bowels of your stomach. Oh, I wish somebody would do that. Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe the wishing is what I need to do. And that's what kindness is. Kindness has this idea of, I feel something deep in the pit of my stomach, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to respond to another person. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's something tangible. Maybe it's something you need to show up with. Maybe you need to write a check. There's some kind of giving of ourselves, of our time, our talent, our treasure to another person, to be kind to them. We're compassionate. We're kind. And, and we're to wear these cloaks in the midst of a broken world, that at times doesn't feel a lot of compassion for the circumstances that people are going through. So many centuries uh, ago, there was a young man who came from a rural setting, and he came from this rural setting, a farming community, if you will, and he went into a large setting, and he just fell in with a crowd. And he just fell in with a crowd and just did whatever the crowd. He, he began to live an incredibly immoral lifestyle, if you will. And he got involved in a lot of different hurtful things. But one day he heard a preacher, he heard a pastor, now, he didn't particularly appreciate his preaching, but he was struck by the man. And he went to hear him again, and soon that preacher was able to lead him to Christ. And if you know anything about him, as a fourth century theologian, if you will, named St. Augustine. He became St. Augustine by hearing this pastor. And this is what he wrote about that person. This is what he wrote about that pastor. pastor's name was Ambrose, and he was the pastor of the Cathedral of Milan. And he said this, I began to love him. Not at first as a teacher of the truth, which I despaired of finding in the church, but as a fellow creature who was kind to me. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. The, the, the Lord has been kind, and he's been good, and he's been fair to me. 
And because of my life has been radically transformed by the gospel, what I want to do is I want to be kind and compassionate to people around me. So we wear compassion. We wear kindness. Third virtue that we're to put on is humility. Um, anybody remember a, a catcher for the Yankees by the name of Yogi Berra? Now, Yogi Berra is a catcher, and he was a, he was a, a great catcher, a kind of a short catcher, but he had some really odd sayings, right? He would say things, and you, and, and you kind of, you're like, scratching your head. And so here's a couple of them. Um, this is what he said. It ain't over till it's over. Yeah, that's, it ain't over. Okay, we got that. You can observe a lot just by watching. You feel enlightened, huh? See where he's coming from? It's like deja vu all over again. Doesn't, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm getting, some of you are going, I don't get it. You'll get it later. Um, I, this one's a good When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Really? Last one is this. It ain't the heat. It's the humility. Now, what he's talking about is he's talking about humidity. But there's no doubt that humility is an important part of our lives. It's an important part of, of who we are. It's an important part of our faith. And, and when you go back and look at the Bible, go back to the book of Genesis and see how many people's lives were torn apart by the opposite of humility and pride. Adam and Eve thought they knew better. King David thought he knew better. Go back and look at King Uzziah and Hezekiah and on, on all of these kings who thought they knew better. They thought that they knew what was going on. They thought, and, and what happened was pride captured their heart. My example of thinking that I knew better than my parents was a lack of humility on my part. And pride will destroy. Pride will tear us up if it's not harnessed and controlled in the right way. Humility is this. It, it has the idea of, of lowliness. It has the idea of, of status and importance. We don't look at ourselves with a sense of importance. We don't look at ourselves with a sense of status and importance. We don't look at ourselves thinking we need to be somebody. Uh, one man actually said it, it this way. He said, it's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. It doesn't change who I am. It changes the way that I might think of ourselves and how I might relate to other people. And, and humility of mind is the opposite of pride. Book of Proverbs says this, 11 verse 2, when pride comes, then comes a disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You realize they didn't really have a word in Greco-Roman culture. They didn't have a word for humility because they thought that, that being proud and powerful and have position, they, they thought that was a virtue to be emulated. So they didn't really have a word for humility or, or, or being humble. They knew the dangers of pride, but what they didn't have was this understanding that we needed to be humble people, not seeking status, not thinking our own importance. James, who was known as a man of prayer, wrote this in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. That is why the scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what we're supposed to do in our relationship with our family members and our neighbors and our co-workers, we are to embrace this idea of humility and to wear it as we go about the ins and outs of life. So compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. By the way, gentleness in, in this uh, text, it's really an interesting word. It was used in secular Greek writings in this way. It has the idea of a soothing wind. 
It has the idea of a healing medicine, and it also had the idea of a cult that had to be broken. So, soothing wind. In other words, wind that is uncontrolled becomes, what, a storm, and it can wreak havoc. Medicine that is, what, not controlled can lead to an overdose. A horse that is not harnessed and controlled can lead to danger. And, and that's the idea that you have there. It's these mighty and powerful things, medicine, wind, and a horse, but it's all under control. It has this aspect of, of gentleness about it. You can be powerful. You can have all of these wonderful characteristics and qualities in your life, but is there a sense of gentleness in the way that you would operate with other people? Chuck Swindoll wrote about this virtue, and, and I like what he said. I'm gonna, we're going to put it on the screen here. This is what he said about the virtue of gentleness. In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless, not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Isn't that interesting? Self-esteem and dignity. Instead of losing the gentle gain of sitting being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. And, and that's what he's talking about, this idea of being gentle toward other people in the way that we respond. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we're very, very different. And the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses and it helps us to live. And as I operate with people and the difficulties and challenges of life, remember, this is, this is probably dealing in the context of, of difficulties, grievances, hardships of life. That's, that's the context of what's going on here. In the midst of that, we are to be gentle people. Jesus said this. By the way, this is a, the song that we sang. Matthew 11 says this. The life of Jesus, he says this, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from the life of Jesus. Why? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Listen, are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you beaten down in life? Jesus said, listen, come to me. Come to me. Guess what I'm going to give you? give you rest in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. I want to give you rest. That's the life of Jesus. And by the way, he had that. Go back and read his life. Look at his life. Even, even on the cross, the difficulties and challenges, God was right there with him, helping him. So we're wearing what? We're wearing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and finally patience. Patience. What's interesting is, is this, that Paul kind of focuses our attention on, on the idea of, of restraint, self-control in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. You know, something that comes up and causes agitation in your life. Did you have anything or uh, something that causes agitation in your life? I guess I, I do. When I have to repair something, I, I know it's going to be a train wreck. I just know, I'm serious. It is almost comical. You would think that by now I would just learn that it's going to be comical, it's going to be a train wreck and get through it. You know, I'm putting a, a, a panel, you know, I have to cut a hole uh, in our ceiling because um, I, they need to get to the access wire to check the, uh, 
the wires for our spectrum. So, I mean, brand new drywall up, and I've got a cut of eight by eight hole up there, and I cut this thing out. And of course, you cut it out, and the, and the, the thing that they're looking for is not back there. So now I have a hole in the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder if I could put a picture up there. <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't. I've got to put an access panel up there. And I'm trying to figure out the access panel, and there's a board through there. And, and I'm like, and I get it, and I, th I finally figured it out. And then it just, it leaves like an eighth an inch gap. Oh, I'm like, so what do I do? I grab some tape. Clear tape, mind you. And I get up there and I move it and I tape it. And I leave it there. And I'm hoping nobody is going to see the tape. I do not have a lot of patience for stuff like that because it just frustrates me and I can't do it. Do you have anything like that? That frustrates you? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a circumstance. You know, maybe something else. And, and what the Bible says is, listen, he wants us to be patient with each other. It means, it means to endure in the midst of difficulties and challenges of life. By the way, Paul uses this in a different way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He uses the word patience in a different way. Notice what he says. Let me just read it. Paul is defending his apostleship. And notice what he says. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. That's the idea of patience. In other words, he's being persecuted, so what does he do? I am enduring. I'm being patient. And that's what it means, to bear up in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life and the hardships of life when people rub you the wrong way. Remember the context of this. The next verse is going to give the context. Grievances. Now, people who will hurt you. And what Paul says, put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, Humility and patience. Why should we do this? Why? Because we live in a broken world and people do bad things and I do bad things and people are going to hurt me. I mean, in a marriage relationship, it is unfortunate that the, the, the woman that I love the most, my wife, sometimes I hurt the most. And amidst of the context of family relationships, family church, we need a way to look at life, and to operate with one another. And that's why he says, listen, be this. Walk with compassion around people. Be kind to one another. Be humble and gentle and patient with one another. Because when you emulate and when you do all of the things, you create an environment in which we are free to love and care for one another in an entirely different way. We're not judging people's motives. We're looking at them and we're looking at the circumstances of life in an entirely different way because we've been changed on the inside, and Christ wants us to live this way. So we put on these virtues. Second thing is this, we need to put up with others. We wear these virtues, but we need to put up with others. Sometimes, unfortunately, things go off the rail. Look at verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Each other one another. This, this is a corporate dimension here. This is something about body life. This is about something about who we are as, as God's creation and what he's done in our life. And we have the privilege to operate in an entirely different way. This idea of forgiveness. 
Uh, I, I want to give you an example of, of grace before we kind of take this apart. I came across this illustration, and, and I just love it. So, so just listen to it. A man by the name of John Azal had something unique happen to him, and he told the story, and I want to tell the story. Um, this is what he writes. He says, uh, a few years ago, a friend and the owner of a high-end local department store gave me a very generous gift certificate. And when I went to use the gift certificate, he met me at the store, and he walked around with me as I selected a sports coat, a dress shirt, and a pair of shoes. And I made sure to look at the price tag because what I wanted to do is I, wanna, I wanted to overshoot the, the gift certificate just a little bit. So he made sure he looked at the price tag and saw how much they were because he wanted to be able to, to give this guy some money from, uh, for his generosity. He says, when I got to the register, I, I took out my wallet and put it on the counter, and I got my credit card out. But, when he, but, but then he placed the gift certificate in front of me, and he said this. He says, well, it looks like you've only spent a little more than half your credit with us. I was shocked. At that moment, I realized he had been only charging me half the ticket price, which means I still had some credit left to me. Really wanted to give back. So he comes back with his wife. He says, in a few weeks... I returned to the store with my wife, determined to show my appreciation by overspending the gift card. He's going to overspend. So this time we approached the counter as a unified front with an armload of clothing and accessories. I handed our friend the gift certificate. I took my wallet out. I took the gift certificate in my hand, and he started entering into uh, all the purchases. Finally, when the bags were full, he turned to us and he said, you're not going to believe this. Uh, but I've rung up everything, and the total comes out to exactly zero. We started protesting. That can't be right. The total should be well above what we left um, on our store credit. And this is what the man said to him. He said, the store owner said to him, I don't think you understand how this gift certificate works. No matter what you throw at it, the total will always read zero. <laughs> Why? Because he did not want that man and his wife to have one ounce of debt, no debt, zero debt. No matter what you purchase, no matter what you get, it's always going to come out to zero. Listen, no matter what you throw at Jesus, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you have gone through in life, there is no debt. There is therefore now no con damnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if Jesus has done that to me, if he has so forgiven me of my sin and so forgiven you of your sin, should we not be different kinds of people? Not holding grudges and not holding debt forgiveness against other people. Notice what the text says. The text says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Paul actually says, bear with each other. It has the idea of make allowances for other people. Make an allowance for me, because I'm going to make mistakes. And make allowance for your spouse and for your child. And for My dad's showing up. He made an allowance for me, because I'm a young kid. I'm stupid. But he made an allowance for me, and he showed up, and he gave me a great example of living an entirely different way. And, and I think that's what, what Paul's talking about here. He says, live your life with allowance. Live your life in such a way that you are forgiving of other people in the family of God, in your own family. Listen, your kids are going to make mistakes. 
I'm going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. But we're to bear with one another and forgive one another. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher, this is a great quote. Notice what he said. He says, every man should have a fair-sized cemetery in which to bury the faults of his friends. <laughs> are, are you a church historian? Somebody does something wrong? Oh, I'm, I'm going to write that down. I'm not going to forget that. Week later, month later, year later, two years later. Yeah, I remember, I remember what Clint did. Yeah, man, I sure did. Hurt me deeply, wounded me deeply. Not forgetting about it. We, we become church historians. You don't think that's true? Listen, a guy by the name of Byron Paulus, he's a former executive director of a revival organization called Life Action Ministry. This is what he wrote. He says this, after reaching out to more than 4 million believers in 6,000 churches during the past four decades, our team of revivalists would unanimously concur that the number one problem they encounter is unforgiveness. Bitterness is rampant. Forgiveness is not. It's in the church. That is incredibly sad. And I wonder if some of us are hanging on to some kind of unforgiveness. And listen, I don't presume to say that life is easy. I would imagine some of you have experienced and been wounded in a deep, deep way, in a way that no one maybe nobody in this room even knows about. And what I would say to you is, listen, Jesus knows, and that's why I went to the cross, and that's why I went to the cross and offered forgiveness of sin. And listen, if Jesus can extend this idea of forgiveness to us and for the pain and the suffering that we can go through, and then maybe through the Spirit of God, what God can do is God can do something supernatural in our hearts, and he can help us to forgive other people for what they've done to us. Don't carry on your back the burden of somebody else's mistake. That's what we do. We, we, carry, on, we, we carry this huge boulder. What's the boulder for? Well, that, that's the thing that, that somebody did against me. Well, well, why are you carrying it? Well, I, it's, it's a burden that I bear. Get rid of it. Forgive. Offer grace. Let's try and be people who forgive the grievances of other people. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. He remembers our sins no more. It means this, that God does not hold our sins against us. I am so glad that is true. So glad that's true. And if God doesn't hold my sins against me, then let's be people who are quick to forgive and to work through the process. Let's make allowances for other people. Look at what the text says. It's a beautiful thought here. Let me just read verse 13. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances what you may have against one another. There's a corporate dimension to this idea of forgiveness. We need to be people that, remember the song, marked by forgiveness? That's what, that's what we would need to be because of what Jesus has done and, and how he's transformed us on the inside because of our hearts. And don't carry that burden around with you. Don't carry it around with you. You, you know what happens when you don't choose to forgive? Let me just, let me just walk through a couple of them. When you, when you choose to carry that rock around, this is what happens. Your fellowship is broken. You break fellowship with your Heavenly Father. 
we lose the blessing of God in our life? The Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Holy Spirit is, is grieved. According to Psalm 16, or 66, verse 18, our prayers are hindered. God leaves us alone to face the difficulties and challenges. By the way, the devil may gain a, a foothold, a root of bitterness. You, you know what a root of bitterness looks like? It can spring up in your heart and your mind. We waste time with this emotional energy you're carrying around, nursing a wound that we don't have to carry around with us. And in, 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 in an odd way, we become almost enslaved to the people who hurt us. We become enslaved to them because we don't release them. We don't forgive, we don't release them for the pain and the suffering that they've gone through. So what are we supposed to do? The text simply says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And I know in my life Christ has forgiven me for a lot. And I need to be forgiving to other people, and we need to be forgiving. We want to be people who are marked by forgiveness. So we're to put on these wonderful virtues of compassion, humility. We're to put on those wonderful virtues. We're to wear them. We're to put up with people when they hurt us. And the last thing we're to do is we're to put on this umbrella of love. It's like an umbrella. It's like over all of this is this, this idea of, of love. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask our guys to come through. I'm going to just lead us into a transition as we go into communion because that's what we're going to do. This, this table right here, guys, you can come up. Um, you, there, this table is an expression of God's love. And what I want to do is I just want to uh, look at this verse, look at verse 14 in light of love and in light of uh, leading us into communion. Notice what it says. Put over all these things, put on love. Verse 14 says, and over all these virtues, the virtues that we just looked at, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Bind has the idea of, of something that holds things together. Now, I'm not a cook, but evidently, and I'm looking at this in my notes, heavy cream, eggs, and dry milk are, are binding agents. I, I don't know that, but I, I read that. I think I looked it up on cooking.com. I don't know. It's... They're binding agents. When you do fiberglass, I have done a little bit of fiberglass. Um, resin is a, is a binding agent. You know, we can bind ourselves to people. I mean, I can bind myself to my wife. I can bind myself to my, well, I could use a zip tie. I mean, we can wrap ourselves. We can bind ourselves like that. I mean, do you really want to be bound together by a zip tie, by a chain or something like that? Well, of course not. We bind ourselves together maybe by guilt. And you kind of control somebody through guilt, maybe some other way, manipulation, coercion. There's a lot of ways that we can bind ourselves together. Threats, well, if you do this, I'm just going to go do that. Guilt, again, obligation, well, there's a sense of obligation. I'm going to bind ourselves together out of a sense of obligation. What is the greatest motivator for binding ourselves together? Love. Put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. It is a supernatural love based upon what Jesus has done for us in going to the cross and offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. It is the it is finished. As Jesus is on the cross and they're mocking him and they're spitting on him and they're treating him horribly. And he simply looks up and says, it is finished. And we can do that through the spirit of God who lives in us. God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us, in spite of ourselves. 
Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of my pain, all the stuff I did, it's laid at the feet of Jesus at the cross. Aren't you glad for that? Man, I'm glad for that. By the way, I'm glad for this past week and what Jesus has done to forgive me of my sin this past week. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love. This is love. Here it is. You want a definition of love? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. For Do you want to know what love is? Love is Jesus being an atoning sacrifice for my sin. He paid for my sin. He took my sin upon himself and went to the cross. And man, shouldn't that motivate us to want to be people who forgive other people? I hope so. Man, I want to be different. Man, I don't want to live as the world lives. I want to, I want to live with the virtues of Jesus. You know, Paul, um, 1 Corinthians 11 says this. Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm like, that's good. I like that. Follow me as I follow Jesus. So find someone who's following Jesus and then follow them. That's a good thing. That's a great. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for who Jesus is. Father, we have the, the God who left the glory and the beauty of heaven to come and live on this earth. And Father, he experienced everything that we have experienced in life. And then he went to the cross and offered himself as a payment for my sin. And Father, this is the God that we love. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we want to emulate. So Father, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just speak to us in this, this holy moment, Lord, of any hidden sin or anything in, within our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we might need to confess to you, Lord. We just ask that you would, you would do that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.